Seinfeld, the fix-up is over, but we're just getting started here on post-show recaps. And now, here are the two guys who could probably not pick up 100 pounds over their head like it was nothing. I'm Rob Sister, here's Keeper Winokur. We are fast, though. We are fast. And we could bait a hook, also. Whatever that means. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, The fix-up, Akiva. Can you believe it? Uh, We're really rolling along here. Yes. This is Seinfeld 316. Seinfeld Season 3, Episode 16 here. Originally aired February 5th, 1992. The fix-up. Yeah, it was written by Elaine Pope. And uh, our old friend Larry Charles. Yeah. And some interesting stuff from the inside looks about uh, the origins of this episode. And the fix up, if you don't remember this episode, this is when Jerry is out to dinner with George. George is talking about that. He can't get a date. Elaine is out uh, to dinner with her friend Cynthia, who we never see again. But uh, Cynthia can't get a date. Jerry and Elaine talk. They say, what if we fix these two up? We'll tell each other everything. They go on the date. It goes great. But then there is some tension between Jerry and Elaine because uh, they're not allowed to tell each other any of the details. And things get especially complicated when Cynthia misses her period due to potentially a defective condom that came courtesy of Bob Sacamano. Uh, And then ultimately, uh, George is very excited about this news uh, and he goes and tries to make things right with Cynthia wins her over but then loses her uh, with his disgusting eating habits yeah a a little a little racy for 1992 certainly certainly yeah I can't remember another primetime sitcom talking about condoms before that point I'm pretty sure welcome back Cotter had that storyline like five times (laughs) five times I don't know the defective condom did you watch welcome back Cotter I watched it on Nick at night yeah, so, well, so did I. I'm not like a thousand years old. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a good show. Very underrated. Okay, good. Well, we could talk about Welcome Back Cotter podcasting when we get all the way through Seinfeld. Is that what's next? Welcome Back Cotter? I hope not. What about Rhoda? <laughs> no. First up, Akiva, we have so much to talk about with the fix-up, but uh, how's your week been? Uh, my week has been very good. Oh, very good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd give it a B plus. A B plus. Four stars? I mean, not four stars. I had to go to, you know, you know what a shiva call is, Rob, right? So I had to go to one today and they're, they're, they're right out of Seinfeld. They're very awkward. Yeah, I was going to say that the shiva call is the real life equivalent of Akiva's fun fact. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, so if you don't know the people so well, if it's like a family friend or, or like an older lady you didn't know like it was here, it's just, it's very, you know, you don't know what to say. Like, are you supposed to speak to the person? Do you wait for them to speak to you? So, uh, you know, it's, it's very awkward. Word is, I hear a lot of good food on the Shiva call. The thing is, there is a lot of good food, but I feel like it's for the family. I feel like it's weird uh, if you go there. Like they do. They'll have like a ridiculous tray of sushi that you'd like never order if not for the Shiva. Because yeah. everyone just buys you food because no one's cooking. You know, it's the week. If for, I guess for people who don't know, it's the week after a person dies. Yes. So they're, it's assumed they're not cooking. So they, they, it, it, the food is ridiculous, but... Unless you're like a close friend or family. You're not just like, it's not, uh, you know, a buffet for everybody. Yeah. Okay. I could see how that would be awkward. I mean, that's not a bad idea, but my philosophy might start being like, it's still worth maybe not going and just like losing that friend. Okay. (laughs) That's You know, because the awkwardness of the the shiva, like (laughs) no friend is good enough to make up for that. You're willing just to write it off. I'm, it's every, you know, if, sorry, you lose a grandparent, it's a write off. Okay. (laughs) We lost you. 
All right. So uh, maybe uh, we can get some more, uh, hopefully not too many more uh, Shiva call stories along the way, but keep us posted. Hopefully, hopefully no more. Even if people die, hopefully no more. Cause that means, (laughs) you know, I'm just not going to be going to that. Well, let us know at least when you're losing people along the way, not so much in the death uh, category, but in the writing them off as friends because they had a relative die. All right, we'll keep track of that. Keep track of that. All right, let's get into talking about the fix-up here. And Akiva, just broad strokes, uh, you like the fix-up? Um, I'm going to say uh, no. It's not one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. What, what do you like about it? I'm curious. I just felt like the dialogue is like very punchy and I really loved the sort of cutting in between like the way that guys talk about, you know, getting set up with a woman versus the way that the women talk about getting set up with the guy. Like I felt like it's very fun. I love Kramer in this episode. I feel like Michael Richards is fantastic. I feel like there's uh, so much fun that we have with the two women talking about George's appearance, uh, George's reaction to finding out that Cynthia is pregnant. I feel like is priceless. And I've just, I've always really liked this episode. Yeah. It's definitely one of those episodes that's always on uh, that, you know, everyone's seen 20 times. My issue with it is, yeah, the, that the stuff where they're flashing back and forth between, you know, Jerry and George and Elaine and Cynthia, and then between Jerry and, you know, and the whole phone call foursome, that is very good and, and a little bit rings true to life. But I don't know if there's too many like laugh out loud, you know, great moments in this episode. Yeah, I was smiling the whole way through. But again, like I wasn't like cracking up. I, I think probably the biggest laughs I had during the episode might be during some of the Kramer stuff. Yeah, and also the ending is done very poorly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've seen already that they really, they haven't figured out how to complete, you know, how to end an episode cleanly yet. All right, well, let's get into talking about it. Of course, the opening stand-up starts with Jerry talking about a conductor at a symphony. Uh, this is a little bit having nothing to do with this episode. Yeah, I think this is like the most out of left field. Uh, you know, he just had this ready to go and there was like no, you know, he could have waited till the next, uh, the next season. You know, they, they visit a symph- symphony there, but. Yeah. And it really has no place here. Or at least in the Pez dispenser, that might have made a little more sense. That's true. Yeah, that would have made sense. Also, if people are tracking this, Jerry is wearing the collared shirt with the vest, not the suit jacket here in the opening stand-up. I'm sure everyone's tracking that. (laughs) So we go to a restaurant and it looks eerily similar to where the busboy worked to me. Yeah, uh, I did a little Googling because I thought the same thing. And a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, Seinfeld uh, fanatics think that it, it is the exact restaurant, which, as we know, burned down in the busboy episode. Yes. Well, maybe they built it back up. Exactly the same. <laughs> well, with just without the busboy. Uh, well, he was already fired. <laughs> yeah. The whole place was fired. But yes, it is the same set. It's the same restaurant. Okay. Good catch by Rob. Thank you. So we have uh, Jerry and George talking about how it's very hard to meet a woman. Uh, George tells us that it's hard enough to meet a woman he doesn't like, let alone one he actually likes. Is it that hard to meet a woman you don't like? I mean, I guess if you're bald and, you know, you only have one friend, it's probably really difficult. Yeah. Because we see also in the deleted scene um, uh, where th- is part of this scene where basically George is talking about, you know, he goes to bars and at a bar, it's easy to pick up women. But the second you're out of the bar, if you try and hit on them, 
you're a, you're like a creep. Yeah, I didn't even get the sense that he felt like it's easy to pick up women in a bar, but I felt like he could say at least you could talk to a woman in a bar, but if you talk to a woman not in a bar, you are some sort of cretin. Right, right. He's not picking them up, but at least he can try in the bar. Yes, at least he can like go and approach them. Uh, Jerry, again, we see a lot of in these episodes where George is talking about one thing and Jerry is just like totally like in his own world distracted. Uh, he asks, are his nostrils too big? Right. Not, no payoff with the nostrils. In this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then we cut to Elaine and Cynthia. They're also in a restaurant, different restaurant than the busboy uh, worked at. And they're talking about the difference between the good ones, the, uh, the guys that are out there. The problem with the good ones, Cynthia says, uh, is that the good ones know they're the good ones. Uh, yeah. Do you know, are you a friends guy? Do you know this Cynthia from friends? Of course. Well, she is. And we'll talk about this probably uh, a little bit that Cynthia is played by the actress Maggie Wheeler, who's best known uh, for the character she played on friends, which was Janice. Right. Was, was she somebody's brother? No, she was Chandler's love interest. And what was she was best known on Friends for was that she had a very nasally annoying voice. And also she had a laugh that was like, ah. and so Chandler would make a joke and she had like this really annoying laugh and she was really bad for Chandler, but they always kept ending up back together. And it was sort of a, a problem for Chandler along the way. Well, I guess all of Chandler's old flings show up on, on Seinfeld. <laughs> yes, I guess they all do. So it's funny because later on in the episode, George talks about Cynthia in the phone conversation he has. And he says, she has such an amazing voice. She should do voiceover. Her voice is fantastic. And it's just so funny that the character she's probably best known for is a character that has a very annoying voice. Yeah. Is it like Elmer Fudd, you know, up in a blender? She has a Elmer Fudd uh, type laugh. Yes. Yeah, actually, uh, fun fact, Jason Alexander and uh, Maggie Wheeler, the, the, the actor who plays uh, Cynthia, were also at about just about the time that this episode aired. They were in a movie together. Oh, what was the movie? Uh, it was called uh, Sexual Healing. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just Googled that one in incognito just in case, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it doesn't seem to have really made a splash that movie. Yeah. So Cynthia is talking about that. The problem is that the good ones know they're the good ones. And she asks Elaine, is Jerry one of the good ones? And Elaine says, uh, he thinks he's one of the good ones. So she's saying no. Yeah. I think she's saying that Jerry is not one of the good ones. He's one of the mediocre ones, but he thinks he's one of the good ones. But maybe this is, you know, going, uh, you know, with what Kramer says later which is that, uh, you know, that she doesn't realize and Jerry doesn't realize, but they're actually still in love with each other. That's entirely possible. So the next thing that uh, Cynthia says is that, and then the mediocre ones, they have an inferiority complex because they know they're not one of the good ones. And then the whole time they are saying, but why would you be with me? They're insecure that they're not one of the good ones. And then they keep saying, but, uh, you know, why are you with me? Why are you with me? And then eventually she says, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I, f I feel like this rings true a little bit. And that's why she wants somebody who has nothing. Yes. No, I'm clearly one of the mediocre ones. Oh, oh, that's a lot of confidence to, like, be sure that you're mediocre. <laughs> I'm pretty confident. You're not somebody who has nothing. Yes. No, I'm definitely one of the mediocre ones. I know I'm not one of the good ones. And that much I do know. So, I mean, you'd be a no-go for Cynthia. 
yeah, I don't think it would work out because I know that I'm one of the mediocre ones and clearly not one of the good ones. Uh, am I super insecure about it? Probably not. But if I was like on the scene and dating somebody new, uh, I think I would probably be more insecure about it. All right, that's fair. Yeah, I think when I started dating uh, my wife, I think I thought I was one of the good ones. Uh, now I've realized I'm one of the mediocre ones. Well, listen, the further away you get from being on television, the more mediocre a person gets. That's right. That's right. And I don't even know what's underneath mediocre, but I'm also headed there as well. Well, you'll find out if Survivor ever gets canceled. <laughs> we'll find out. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then uh, we go to back to George. So let me take that back. And what she ultimately says is that what she's really looking for is somebody who has nothing. She's looking for somebody who has nothing going on. We cut back to George with like his face full of spaghetti. Uh, and he's talking about how he almost uh, went on a date. He's uh, hitting up the operators on the phone for dates. Yeah, this is, by the way, one of the best episodes uh, in terms of editing that we've seen. Yes. You know, the second she says nothing, like it's unlike what they've done before, but it's a very good cut. Like, you know, smash cut right to George, like slurping the spaghetti. Yeah. And George says that his dream is to be hopeless because then when you're hopeless, then you don't care. And then when you don't care, that's desirable to the women. So he his dream is to become hopeless. He says, that's my only hope. Yeah, I feel like we see this a few times in the series from George that like bottoming out is his best strategy. <laughs> yes, it's like getting the number one pick in the draft. Like I try to tell all these fellow Jets fans that no, what we need to do is just lose all the games. Like stop with four wins. That's, that's not helping. It's true. Yeah, you have to burn the structure to the ground before you burn it uh, down. Our only hope is to be hopeless. Yeah, so, I mean, they're really, they are speaking a lot of truth in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's probably not um, an accident that this is one of the only episodes thus far written by a woman. Yes. Well, it has, you know, it has a male and a female perspective in this episode. Yeah, and we are going to see a lot about Larry Charles and Elaine Pope in the inside looks. But do you know anything about Elaine Pope? You know, in the, when Larry Charles is talking, he's talking about, you know, Elaine said this, Elaine said that. I'm like, who's Elaine? Uh, and we find out that Elaine Pope was the co-writer on this. And I had never heard of Elaine Pope before. Yeah, so um, she, uh, you know, we see her. If you watch the inside look, you could actually see her and see what she looks like. But uh, she does not have a lot of credits. The only episodes she wrote were The Truth, which we already saw, and, uh, and this episode. She also has the story credit, which is like the secondary credit for The Cheever Letters, which is uh, an episode coming up soon. Uh, and then her, no, I don't really know. She wrote on Fridays, not necessarily The News, mm -hmm. and M Murphy Brown, but her career seems to have stalled. You know, I always try looking up the writers to see if it's a possibility if we could have them on. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't find anything about Elaine Pope, really. Okay. So Elaine Pope, it's interesting. I mean, you can certainly tell in the dialogue between Elaine and Cynthia that this dialogue had a woman's touch to it. Like, the, that they are speaking in a way that we're not used to seeing Elaine and, and other female characters speaking. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a good point. And it's really well done. It is well done. Carol Leifer becomes like the main... Uh, sort of female voice of all the writers, uh, but she doesn't show up until episode until season five. Yeah, and I mean this as a compliment. Like I feel like some of the stuff between Elaine and Cynthia, like I feel like it's almost out of Sex in the City, and I, I mean that in a as a complimentary way of like saying the the good things about that show. Yeah, I would agree. the The dialogue is is very good, and even the scene where they're 
going back and forth on the phone, which in addition to like being a very, you know, cleverly edited scene, also seems like a conversation that you could, I mean, now it's hard to with, you know, who's on the phone and like, you know, and puts people on hold. But that seems like a call you could have had in the 90s with your friends or, you know, with your friend's girlfriend if you were setting them up. It's hammer time, right? (laughs) It is. It is. It is peak hammer time. And I've been, I don't know, have you ever set anybody up, Rob? I'm yes, yes, I have, and they've gotten married. Yes. Oh wow! So that's uh, that's just one couple or mul- or multiple. Um, no, just just one. Out of how many attempts? It really had nothing to do with me, to be honest. That uh, that there was there was a girl that uh, that I had been seeing, and she set up two people. One of a very good friend of mine with one of her friends, and they actually did get married. Yeah, I had I've had only bad experiences. I set up uh, four couples. And they went on a combined three dates. Okay. One of the couples did not even end up going out. And another one, um, the, the girl called me crying that the boy was like driving erratically. And then I spoke to the boy. Very similar to like I was, you know, both of them were calling at the same time, like Jerry and Elaine have in this episode. And he says that he, he told me he was dry. I said, why, did, why were you driving erratically? Like, you're not, you know, you're not like a terrible driver. He's like, I was thrown off by how not pretty she was. That's what oh. he told me. <laughs> Straight up, that is what he told me. With her around or not around? No, 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 no. He's not that bad of a, I mean, he's a bad person, but he's yes. not that bad of a person. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, she, I mean, maybe she heard through the, you know, the, if she was on hold, I would be nervous about like the other person accidentally saying it to the other person. Yeah. Well, good. I, let, let's keep that in mind. The expectations of looks as we get towards, uh, you know, figuring out how this would be different in the 2015 episode of the fix up. So we go back to Elaine and Cynthia and Cynthia says that she really just feels bad about her mother. She says that if she's not married, eventually they just have to kill her mother. And Elaine says, well, at least you're not bitter. And she gets like really defensive. Like, who said I'm not bitter? Yeah, I mean, the killing their mother is pretty interesting. But, uh, I, you know, she plays it very well. Well, Cynthia. maybe not as interesting as what happens next. When Cynthia gets up, she's going to go to the bathroom and she tells Elaine, order me a piece of cake. I'm going to go throw up. Yeah, this is really fascinating. And it's kind of a throwaway line. I mean, it's referenced again, but clearly Elaine mentions this to Jerry. And how could you not? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, w- I would be curious if how many incidents of eating disorders, um, you know, were on TV before this. I mean, yes. it's probably, it probably happened, but I can't think of any from like classic television. But that's just a very interesting line that just is like sort of a throwaway line that she's going to go make herself go throw up. I wonder if that was a sign of the times also. Like, I feel like you wouldn't see that necessarily like on an episode of girls or something like that. Um, Well, would maybe you would like, unless it's just not like, unless it's almost passe now. Well, I feel like it wouldn't be treated as like a comic note. Like I, I can't imagine, and maybe I, I'm, I'm dead wrong on this, where you'd have so, a, a female character on a show say, I'm going to go make myself throw up and order me a piece of cake. And then, you know, that's like a big laugh line. Right. But what if, what, I mean, especially if, a, if it's a female writing the line, it's maybe a little bit easier to get away with. Not that only women have eating disorders, but here it's a woman having the eating disorder. Yeah, I just wonder if in 1992, that was more of a common thing that women were doing of like, hey, you want to like, you know, lose weight, you just go make yourself throw up after you eat. Whereas in... It was called like binge and purge, no? I think, I'm not sure what it was called, but I think that would certainly suffice. Yeah. I, I just feel like maybe in 2015, like people don't do that. That's bad. Don't, don't, that's, that's a bad idea. 
Yeah, I like the Cynthia, by the way. Of all the, you know, a lot of times the guest actors, like you can't wait till the episode's over to get them off the screen. But I feel like she should have come back. Yeah, I really like her as a character. I think she's very three-dimensional. Like, she's not wacky. She's not boring. She's like a really good mix of somebody. Um, almost a, a little bit like the character in uh, The Nose Job. And I can't, I'm blanking on what that character's name was. But I feel like they do a really good job with her. Yeah, she's not chopsticks in the hair, lady. Yes, she's not like super shrill or one note. She's like a very fleshed out character. And so uh, we go to now the next day. Jerry is reading the newspaper and his hands are filthy from the print and he wants a wet nap. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that they like, you know, design these things that you're supposed to hold in your hand for like 20 minutes at a time. And then afterwards, you look like you were just rolled in the mud. Yeah, well, that's why they invented the iPad. But I still like an actual newspaper. I like a newspaper also, but I, I you know, they sort of were asking for their own demise with, with something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, they had it coming, this newspaper industry. All right, so Elaine talks about how they went out with Cynthia the night before. And Jerry asks, what did you talk about? And she's like, sort of like, oh, whatever, like the deficit, the rainforest. And but then she like actually like I thought it was like a throwaway line, like a joke. But then she talks about how Cynthia thinks that they should nuke the rainforest just to eliminate it as a topic of conversation. Was Elaine sort of improving there? Was that a joke or do you think they actually had that conversation? Yeah, I think that is a joke. I don't think Cynthia could come up with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe she could. But but Elaine's not saying it like a joke. Yeah, but I think she's just selling it. Well, I think what they're getting at here is like you know, we're getting, even though they never really address it as like this in the episode, it's like the bro code and and the girl code. And like, are we going to talk about, you know, what I talk about with my female friend, what I talk about with my guy friend together, like which relationship has priority. All right. So we get to that. Jerry says, George is going to give up. Elaine says, Cynthia was going to give up also. And they talk about maybe we should fix them up. And then Elaine gets into, well, is Cynthia too good for George? And they get into a little bit of like, well, who is she? Who Who is he? Uh, and I, again, I like the banter between Jerry and Elaine. Yeah, it's also funny seeing Jerry uh, have George's back here because he rarely does that. Yeah, he really does. He's a good friend. And so, you know, we get into uh, Elaine saying, what, you don't think she's beautiful? And Jerry was well, what's with the eyebrows? And it's a funny callback later on in the episode. And Elaine tells Jerry that she has eyebrows that women would kill for. Yeah, I mean, I've never noticed anybody's eyebrows, but I'll, I'll take her word for <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, no, Jerry is 100% correct. I'm not sure, Yeah, you know, women make a big deal about the eyebrows. And yeah, I've never heard a guy ever talk about somebody's eyebrows, unless a woman ha has like a unibrow. Right, that you'd notice. But I, I think it's they're doing that for other women. Yes, it's for the other women. They like to see the eyebrows. I think so, because I, I don't like I, I barely know the difference between eyebrows and eyelashes. So I'm not sure I'm the target customer here. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> I wouldn't brag about that. You know, the difference between eyebrows and eyelashes. Wait, that I, I shouldn't brag that I do know the difference. Yeah, that you do know <laughs> that I barely know. <laughs> it seems like a, a pretty big distinction between eyebrows and eyelashes. All right, so if I ever go on a first date, I will not bring that up. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so <laughs> uh, in talking up George, uh, Jerry talks about how, well, George is fast and he's strong. Uh, he could pick 100 pounds over his head like he's nothing, and he could bait a hook. Uh, what is Jerry talking about? 
Listen, it's it's hard to sell George. You know, you're not going to start with looks. You're not going to start with you know his his luscious head of hair. So yes. you got to make some stuff up. Is George fast? It's I don't I don't think he is. <laughs> you know, we see we see Jerry race, but we don't really see George race in the series. Yes. Is George that strong? Do we have any evidence to support that George could pick up a hundred pounds over his head? I could I could buy George being strong. Yes, that's possible that he could be strong. What about baiting a hook? Are you buying that? Oh, no question. He cannot do that. No, I don't, wouldn't think so. He Although, I mean, we know he has some uh, skill around fish since he can, you know, pull obstructions out of uh, whales' blowholes. <laughs> okay, so maybe he does have a little bit of a marine biologist in him. It's possible. Okay. So Jerry and Elaine agree they're going to share everything. And it's sort of a funny line that they that Elaine asks him, like, whoa, what if this worked out? And Jerry's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so they know going in that this is probably going to be doomed for failure. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're just uh, biding each other time until they could, you know, All right. be miserable again. So this is, uh, again, I really enjoy this stuff. This is, so we see first Jerry telling George about the fix up and George is like right off the bat, like, oh no, out of the question. He says a fix up that's one step away from personal ads and prostitutes. Boy, uh, that is a very steep, like slope down, uh, (laughs) down from, we go from a fix up, then personal ads, then prostitutes. Yeah, I, I, who would have thought, you know, fix up just means you have friends who are interested in setting you up. I don't know uh, why it's so bad. See, I feel like there was a stigma here in 1992 about the personal ads, but I feel like the online dating stigma is not that you got all these people on. Oh, I'm on Match. I'm on, you know, Plenty of Fish. I'm on uh, Tinder even. Uh, I feel like, you know, the personal ads, I guess it was a lot of work. It did seem desperate, but now I feel like that stigma is sort of gone. Yeah. Personal ads seem so desperate, honestly, like putting it in the newspaper. Yeah. 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 And especially we've already talked about how gross the newspaper is. You got to write a letter. You got to send in like a check and let it run. And then you got to go get letters from other people. I mean, what? Uh, it's ki- horrible. What Sounds ki- horrible. You'd rather be single. What kind of lunatics are out there writing letters? Uh, psychopaths, <laughs> psychopaths, right? Yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, Hey, you just like, let me check on my phone. Okay. This person, uh, wants to go on a date. Let me see, look, look at their pictures or whatever. Um, and that's the other thing where I feel like the picture has become a big part of this. Where in the personal ad, uh, there's really no picture involved. No, you, that would be a very expensive ad in the newspaper to have a picture. Right. And also in 2014, 2015, you would have, you know, Jerry might have a picture on his phone of this woman. George might say, let me go on Facebook. Let me go and see what she looks like before having to get like a verbal description from Jerry. Yeah. People still set each other up in 2015, but I don't do you think in the entire, you know, world has somebody in the last year gone on a date with someone without knowing what she looks like first. Yeah, I would think that is unlikely. Like a true blind date. Like if somebody was setting you up. Not with a blind person? Uh, no, not with a blind person. If, if somebody was setting you up, would you, would you, If we're uh, excluding you know, the blind, then I think that there has not been a person to go on a date in the last year and did not know what that person looked like before the date. I think a blind person would still ask. They would, they would ask. And I, and again, I, you know, I am not in that boat, so I would not know what the criteria are they're looking for. But that being said, I think that, you know, every date that's happened in the world, the person knew what they look like. Yeah, I would tend to agree. (laughs) 
in the entire world. Okay, so George asks Jerry, is she good looking? And uh, Jerry says sort of like, yeah, she's good looking. And George says, oh, you hesitated. You hesitated. What hesitate? I didn't hesitate. Yeah. Uh, What kind of body? And Jerry is like, nice body. Nice. She has a nice body. Yeah, I mean, Jerry's also not crazy about the Cynthia, so it's a hard sell for him. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think Jerry kind of is underselling uh, Cynthia. I think for George, I mean, again, compared to some of the women George is going to date, uh, I mean, Cynthia's just average, but I, I feel like for the actual George, I feel like that Cynthia would be a really good score. Yeah, she is out of his league for sure. But but also, you know, first of all, Jerry hates Jerry hates Cynthia for some reason, but uh, George, George went, you know, a complete 180. Like a second ago, he wasn't uh, going out with her. Now he's like, you know, he's yeah. just, you know, full of questions. Well, Jerry says uh, she has a nice body and George wants to adjust nice. And uh, Jerry says, really very nice and good. <laughs> uh, her personality, Jerry says, is funny and bright. Uh, George doesn't want somebody that's smarter than him. Uh, and Jerry says, how could she be smarter than you? Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I would. The, the thing is, like, that's a tough question. If somebody says, like, well, would you go out with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you supposed to answer there? Sure. Sure. You don't have to actually go out with them. Right. But then if you're single, it's like, OK, then go out with them. Yeah. Well, they, you don't have to worry about that. I well, I'm not talking about me and you. I'm just, <laughs> um, you know, this is a hypothetical. Here. Yeah. <laughs> So the I think this is sort of a subtle joke here, but I think it's a, a funny one. The last thing George gets to is what does she do in the Cynthia and Elaine conversation? The first question Cynthia asks is, so what does he do? Yeah, I might actually have to move this episode up a couple slots because now that we're going over it, you know, with a fine tooth comb. Uh, even though I don't think it's hilarious, the editing is really sharp. Yeah, it's just it's just really well done. It's like uh, Akiva. Have you seen Grease? Pieces of it. Yeah, like the whole thing of like the summer loving, where you have the guys talking, the girl, the girls talking. Like I feel like this is like the Seinfeld version of that. Yeah, I only saw a little bit of Grease because I'm such a big Welcome Back Cotter fan. I need <laughs> yes, to see what, yes. what Travolta was up to. You had to see what he was doing. <laughs> but anyway, it's very funny that, you know, the first thing Cynthia goes to is that, uh, what does he do? And Elaine says uh, he's not working. And this is like almost like a deal breaker for Cynthia off the start. Like, you wonder why Cynthia even goes on the date with George. I mean, she's just so desperate. And I feel like a little bit she's a glutton for punishment also. Yeah. Like she wants, she almost wants the story of like some people just do things for the story. Like she just wants like this narrative in her head to continue of like her, like not being able to find anybody. And if she doesn't go out with anybody, she can't complain. Yeah. But if she does, she could, she could go and complain to her girlfriends afterwards. Yes. I think that's a very astute observation. She also said in the beginning of the episode, she was looking for a guy with nothing. So, you know, maybe Elaine Blake, well, you said you were looking for a guy with nothing. Yeah, I mean, and listen, she eventually agrees to go out with him, but, uh, you know, he, it's very hard to sell George. Like, imagine trying to pitch George to your, to uh, like a female friend to go out with him. <laughs> so he's, it's a hard sell right now. Yeah, it would be a hard sell right now. So they talk about how he got fired from his job, and we get a callback to uh, the episode uh, with the Mickey, and we get where she says that he tried to poison his boss because uh, he had problems at work. And Cynthia's like, no, he didn't really. Uh, and Elaine says, no, he actually did. Elaine leaves out the part where she was an accomplice on trying to poison George's boss. Yeah, I love the, I love the fact that they're, you know, being self-aware and calling back to the revenge and, 
and, you know, talking about old episodes, which obviously they're about to start doing in every episode. Yeah. But um, yeah, it is funny. Uh, Elaine is totally underselling the fact that she was 50-50 in on this deal <laughs> with, uh, with George. She said it was going to be a caper. Uh, yeah, but uh, apparently she has, you know, she has absolved all knowledge of this. <laughs> Well, anyway, so we get to describing him physically again. It's you know, the, the last thing we get to is George uh, physically. Uh, Elaine says he has a lot of character in his face um, and he's short, uh, stocky, powerful. Uh, and then we get to Cynthia saying that he's fat. Yeah, if somebody says stocky, I mean, that, that's basically, first of all, the if you're trying to set somebody up and you're not looking at a picture you're going to sell them much higher than they are. So if, you know, if they're like 5'9", you're going to say they're like 5'11". And if, you know, and if they're like, if they could lose 10 pounds, you're going to say like, oh, they're skinny. <laughs> so if you're saying stocky, then like, you're lucky you get George. Like, he could be 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then also Elaine breaks the news that uh, he's losing his hair, which also doesn't sit well with Cynthia. <laughs> he's bald? Yes, he's balding. It's funny because... In the inside, look, Jason Alexander's talking about how they realized they could sort of like mine his appearance mm -hmm. for comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wonder, it is weird. I wonder, like, if you're, let's say, let's say there's a, a script that calls for like an obese person and you're like making fun of them. Yes. You know, so it's weird because you're really just making fun of the actor. So I, I always wonder about how like, uh, you know, that plays, but he's a good sport. Yeah, well, there's something, and Jason Alexander talks about this as being sort of like a benchmark episode for him, where this is like the episode where they really start uh, mining George's appearance. And, you know, on the page, when they came up with the idea for Seinfeld, George is just a character, you know, George is in his mid-30s and blah, 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 blah. But now that you're seeing Jason Alexander, the writers all know Jason Alexander, when they're writing in the script, like, oh, he's short, he's stocky, he's balding, you know, and then, you know, they're actually talking about Jason Alexander, the, who's playing, who's playing George, but Jason Alexander has to read on the paper. You know, they're calling him stocky. They're calling him this. And he's, you know, a good sport about it throughout the show. But he says that this is when they sort of realize that they could have a lot of fun with him taking his shirt off and all these different things that they do to him. Yeah, I mean, George isn't as big of a loser in seasons one and two as he's become here. <laughs> but but also, you know, I think they probably just had to, like, become comfortable with the cat with like the actor as a person to like know that he wasn't going to lose his mind because he is sensitive. Like remember the episode where they cut him out of, you know, he's, he's talking like a crazy person and the inside looks like you know, he was going to quit. Yeah. So, you know, clearly, and a lot of actors have that sort of, uh, you know, I don't know what to call it. Insecurity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to like tiptoe around them a little bit. So we go from Cynthia and Elaine talking about what kind of hair uh, does George have? And we cut to George asking, what kind of hair does she have? Uh, is it flowing, cascading hair? Because thick, lustrous hair is very important. And, and uh, he's like, you know, picking at his bald spot uh, as he's asking about the thick, lustrous hair is so important. I mean, it's a little forced just to like continue the joke, but. It is funny because, you're, you know, you're just showing him like rub his his bald head. And, yeah. Uh, you know, talk about how important this is. Like, I, I don't know if they needed Jerry to go back. Like, I just want to get this straight. You're asking about thick, lustrous hair. <laughs> you know, uh, that's probably one time hitting it too hard. And yeah. I mean, so, some of the Jerry George conversations in this episode are like, you know, a few lines too long. Yeah. But again, that's uh, it's a nitpick. Um, George wants to know if you stick your hand in the hair, is it easy to get it out? <laughs> 
You know how like, right. So I, like Jerry says, you know, some people like, you, you know, they'll ask you a question, but you don't know. You'll give them the answer they want, but you don't know what the answer they want is. Yeah. So like, here, what are you supposed to say? Like, yeah, it's really easy. Or like, no, it could, it's a forest in there. It'll get lost. Yeah. A lot of the conversations I have with my wife are sort of like this, where she's asking me a question and where it's like, uh, do you, like, uh, do you think, do you think this dress makes me look? tan or, or I, and it's like what do you want to look do you want to look tan or you don't want to look you know that's a bad example i can't think of one off the top of my head but it's a lot of you know as, and then whatever she says then i j- repeat it back yeah i that's a that's a lose-lose situation no it, it goes it goes pretty well are you sure yeah i mean i i can look i i have very little confidence in in much so i can't say for sure but it, it we end up quickly moving on to the next thing so in my right, mind that's fine. a win fair enough chalk that up as a win all right george wants to know about the skin is it a good cheek does she have a pinkish hue is there a rosy glow yeah you know he's uh he's very particular for <laughs> an unemployed bold you know short fat guy yeah uh jerry countess she's got great eyebrows Women kill for her eyebrows. Who cares about eyebrows? <laughs> and then finally, uh, George was like, is she sweet? Uh, he likes if a woman is sweet, but not too sweet because uh, too sweet could make you throw up. <laughs> right. And then Jerry, right. Jerry counters with maybe the best line of the episode. Yeah. He says, uh, I don't think you'll throw up. She likes to throw up. <laughs> Again, uh, you would think that would be like come up uh, very high in the conversation also that Jerry has this information. But Jerry's a comedian. So George probably thinks he's joking. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We go back to Cynthia and Elaine one more time. And she was there. Was he married? And he says, well, he one time spent a weekend with a woman. And she's like, did he really try to poison his boss? She's like, yeah, he really did. All right, so uh, let's cut to Jerry and George. George is talking about how great the phone call went. He had a great conversation. Yeah, look at this confidence on George. Yeah, he even threw away his notes halfway through. <laughs> I love that he has notes for the conversation. Yeah, and we've talked about this a bunch of times about how he has uh, notes uh, for his phone calls. Yeah, I think I mentioned in one of the first episodes I did this once with a girl. How did that go? I mean, I'm not married there. Yes, okay, but was the conversation good? Yeah, it was like a rerun because you know what you're going to say beforehand. Yeah. Why would you do you have material that you would like go to on the phone? Well, now, now I don't now. You know, I've, I've said many times I don't even answer my phone, <laughs> but um, I, I don't even think my phone has been turned on today. But the um, yeah, I would have like um, I don't know if I would have like a bit maybe ready to go a bit ready to go. Yeah. You know, like try to, you know, try to like fall into like a specific topic conversation. You'll have like a funny anecdote or something. Yeah, that's good. A monologue. You know, now I've given up, but but (laughs) back in the day. Okay, so then Elaine eventually comes in and uh, she says, hey, Saturday night, you going on the date? And George wants to know, did she mention the conversation? And I guess Cynthia did not mention the conversation. and, And now it's already over for George before it started. Yeah, one of my favorite things about George is he can go from hot to cold and vice versa in like a split second. Yes. 
So he, he was like, he was going to marry her five seconds ago. And now he's like only going on the date, you know, as to be polite. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here comes Kramer. I, I think Michael Richards is a, a 10 out of 10 in this episode. I think he's great in the small, like he doesn't really have a story, but the, just like in him coming in, I think he's perfect. Every, every time he's on the screen, he comes in with the paper bag and says, uh, you know, my friend, Bob Sacamano, he got a job at a condom factory. Yeah. So if we're keeping score at home, uh, so far, Bob Sacamano uh, has a botched hernia operation that gave him a high-pitched voice. <laughs> yes. And he had shock treatment, um, but it didn't affect him because his synapses are too big. <laughs> yes. So, and now he, now he has a job at a condom company in Jersey. Okay. And so uh, I thought this was very funny that they asked Kramer, what are you going to do with all of these? And he just, he doesn't say anything, but he just has like this like devilish like look on his face. Yeah, he also says they gave him a gross, which uh, which is, I think, a dozen dozen, 144. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's believable. Yeah, but first of all, if they're defective, you may as well give them a thousand, give them all. But uh, <laughs> Well, he didn't know they were defective when he took them. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, I feel like the condom factory, you know, there may have been a, a Jackie Childs might have had to get involved here. Like, it would have been a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's trying to push the condoms on Elaine. And he's like, here, Elaine, come on, take half a bag. Said, what am I, a hooker? <laughs> yeah, but so, I mean, we know, you know, Elaine needs her sponges anyway, so. Yeah, um, George takes one, uh, says, and everybody looks at him. He's like, it's possible. Yeah, and this, you know, this whole thing is is funny. Um, I wonder, like, is that, was this racy in 92? I think it's got to be pretty racy. I mean, the condoms here, and again, uh, I have no idea what the average 1992 condom looks like. Um, Jerry comments, it looks like these came out of a cereal box. Um, they look like, almost like, it looks like a bag of lollipops. They're like multicolored, single wrapped in plastic. Uh, I feel like the average condom is like in some sort of like foil trans, uh, you know, a translucent wrapper. You can't really see through it. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen something that's in a uh, sort of like a, uh, you know, cellophane, like uh, again, again, like something that you would get in a box of cereal or a box of Cracker Jacks. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they were giving them out in in like uh, Fruity Pebbles back then. (laughs) Yeah. And it looks like Fruity Pebbles is like, uh, you know, red, green, yellow, blue. Uh, well, if it was cereal, then if it was really cereal, Jerry would have taken it. Yeah, they do a good job. They do look particularly cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's also funny, like, let's be honest, like the lane that we know could have used 72 pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. She might as well have taken half the bag. I guess a good thing she didn't, though. Okay, good thing she didn't. All right, so Jerry does a little bit of stand-up about the problem uh, with the condom. is still buying them. You need a signal when you go into the pharmacy. Uh, very dated uh, stuff. Probably some of the most dated stuff that we've seen. Yeah, and also, like, wouldn't everyone know the signal then? Like, does everyone get their own signal with the pharmacist? No, I think just one signal would have been would have been good. You sort of just walk in, and then all the, all the guys know it. I think that the problem is sort of, like, pointing to the one you want uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, and then, like, what happens when the guy puts, puts condoms in your bag and you didn't ask for them, and he's like, oh, you winked. And the guy's <laughs> like, I didn't wink. I had grapefruit in my eye. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was pulp. It was the pulp that got me. All right. Pulp can fly, baby. Pulp can fly. So when we go to uh, Jerry and Elaine, uh, they're having the conversation. Elaine is painting her house. Uh, Are you buying that Elaine is painting her apartment? 
That's pretty wacky, but uh, why not? Maybe Tina, the actress waitress, is out of town. Okay. So they're talking and they have not heard from George and Cynthia. Yeah, and it's weird here. Like, he says he got home. Whose house were they at? I'm not even sure. Well, I think that they were at George's house because he's in a bed that has, like, sort of like uh, Marvel superheroes above the bed. Yeah, and he says he just got home, but he's also wearing a robe. Like, maybe he drove her home. I'm not sure. No, but I think they were in his house, right? Yeah, but then why does he say he just got home? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it didn't last that long. Yeah, maybe the whole encounter was like five minutes. <laughs> anyway, so he's talking about how they had sex and the crowd is like, Ooh. This is like, this crowd was imported from Saved by the Bell. Like when Kramer walks in, there's like so much wooing. He gets a standing ovation. Yeah, how about that? I don't mind the laugh tracks. But I do when they when they ooh and they ah uh, that really it then it becomes like family matters. <laughs> it took you out of it. It takes me out of it a lot. Yeah. All right. On Cynthia's on the other line. She's telling Elaine how it went. Uh, she says that they had sex and they had sex in the kitchen because George said the kitchen is the most sociable room in the house and he's very comfortable there. Yeah, but I think we know really why he did it in the kitchen. Why is that? It's because, you know, it was near the fridge. He was probably able to open up the fridge and get a bite to eat quickly. Oh, my God. That's his thing, right? <laughs> I guess so. I guess He needs so. to eat. It usually brings the food to the bedroom, but I guess here he needed it in the kitchen. And Elaine is sort of like, well, how was it? And Cynthia says, how good could it be? My head was on a hot plate. Wow. I hope the hot plate was off. I hope it was off, right. Or else her luxurious head of hair. Who knows what would happen. That's very it. dangerous. That's like Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. I, I've never uh, read that book, but it sounds like <laughs> You have. No, I have not read the book. I don't okay. think you need to read the book. I think you no. sort of get what it's about. Did you read the, wait, did you read the Cliff's Notes? No, no, I don't think, again, I don't think you need to. Uh, I hear you. I hear yeah, you. like, uh, like I, I tried to push my wife to read it and she was like, I don't want to be like one of these housewives reading that book. Like, uh, like, ah, but uh, just see what it says. <laughs> the, I, I, the movie looks like, a, I mean, I feel like everyone said this already, but the movie looks abysmal. Yeah. I just, I hear it's good. Everyone should read it. Like, I'm not going to be one of those people. Like, uh, that would be, you know, I feel like that would be a weird audible.com book also. <laughs> well, look, whatever. We'll give it a, give it, give it a shot. All right. So we end up cutting back to Jerry and Elaine and both of Cynthia and George promise them that they can't say anything. And so they're both sort of like, Oh, what? Nope. Nothing. I guess nothing happened. Nothing happened. And they know exactly what happened, but they're not able to talk about it awkward yeah it's a little awkward because you you know you jerry and elaine like what comes first like the bro code or or you know their old relationship uh it's a little it's a little sad that you know they're they're choosing their friends over each other yeah and they made this pact that they were gonna tell each other everything yeah but george and cynthia also made a pact not to tell them anything yes okay so what are you going to do? All right. So George can't get through to Cynthia now. He's telling Jerry about how she won't answer his calls and he feels like she used him. Yeah. Which I don't know why he's so mad about. Yeah. Like that was, that was best case scenario. Well, I think he really liked her. You know, he did, but uh, you know, why doesn't she answer his voicemails? Um, I think that I, she- I guess just because she thinks she's pregnant. No, I don't think that she thinks she's pregnant. I think that she thinks that it went so badly that I think she was like, you know, she felt like he was a weirdo. I mean, I'm not sure why she had sex with him, but uh, I think after the whole kitchen thing, I think the sex must have been very bad. Yeah, I also, Cynthia hates herself. I think that's clear. Mm-hmm. 
Like so, like she, you know, she puts herself in these situations just to like you know, further her agony. Yeah. She also might've been embarrassed also that she had sex with George on the first date. Yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. If I was Cynthia's mom though, I would watch out. Yes. Also, I think that maybe she might feel like George is in love with her. I mean that, you know, they have the thing about like, oh, if you call the girl the next day, she thinks you're desperate. I think that she might be like, oh my God, I'm out of this guy's league. He's calling me the next day. He's in love with me. I don't like him. And so she doesn't want to answer the calls. Yeah, well, things are about to get a whole lot worse. Yes. Uh, yeah, they talk about how it's like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, thank you, sir situation. <laughs> thank you, sir. I like that. <laughs> thank you, sir. Well, she's not going to get away with this. Jerry is mad. He's going to call her. George says he even made small talk with the waitress so she could see how well he relates to the commoners. The commoners. Yes. Wait, is George, George is saying he's not a commoner? <laughs> I thought we established he's below the commoners. Yeah, I thought we established it. So Jerry's going to call up that he's getting pissed and he's going to get on the phone. And George's like, no, 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 don't get on the phone. And they're wrestling over the phone. Here comes Kramer. And uh, Kramer, I, I feel like Kramer is, is, so, is so funny here with breaking up the fight. Yeah, it's, it's weird to see him as the voice of reason, but here he really is. Yeah, and he's like saying to them like, uh, okay, you two want to fight? If you two want to fight somebody, you're going to have to fight me. <laughs> How do, like in terms of the three of them, what's the fighting prowess rank power rankings? I think Jerry is last. Uh, I think Kramer, you see he has uh, the long reach. I think that uh, he's the last person you'd want to fight and George is in the middle. So we're ranking them Kramer, George, Jerry. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're right. Yeah. And again, that George would have some advantages. I think he would bite you. He would punch you in the groin. Oh, yeah. He fights dirty. No question. Would fight dirty. But Kramer, I just feel like has the reach and is uh, also a crazy person. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy outwind beats, you know, a lot of different things in fighting. Yeah. And Kramer would also bite you and stuff like that. Oh, boy. You would have to get a rabies shot of Kramer Page. <laughs> I think so. And they break up the fight and he talks about how like, uh, like it's about a woman, isn't it? It's about a woman. Like, see, this is what they do. Uh, and he finally gets them to shake hands. But I, I think that this whole scene is very funny. It is funny. Although I'm surprised Kramer didn't say that Jerry and George were in love. Yes, I'm surprised. Maybe uh, down the road they would have done that. And he makes them shake hands and he wants to know, now, isn't that better than fighting? Um, but to me, like, I just feel like this scene is is really, really perfect. And, it, and a scene that you wouldn't have later on down the line. Like, I feel like in, in the show about nothing, like, I feel like this is a great scene. It lasts a couple of minutes and it really doesn't do anything about the plot. It's just fun. And, and I feel like uh, something that they probably wouldn't have spent as much time on in later seasons. But to me... I thought this was a, a really interesting and fun thing to watch. Yeah, there is very little plot and it takes even, you know, it takes 10 minutes in the episode just to get really going with the, with the fix up. But yeah, the, um, when they sit and do nothing, sometimes it's terrible, but here it, it works. Yeah. And then after the guys shake hands, Kramer says, oh, by the way, those condoms I gave you, uh, they're defective. Don't use them. And then... <laughs> Uh, then George is trying to strangle Kramer and then Jerry has to break up the fight. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how long Kramer was sitting on this information. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty safe. You know, the only person who took one was George. So he wouldn't, Kramer wouldn't have thought that in the, however much time this has been a day or two that George has used it already. Yeah. And then Jerry separates them and Kramer says, well, I didn't think you were going to use it. And then he makes him want to fight again. <laughs> and they say, well, look, if anything was wrong, she would call you. Then we cut to uh, Cynthia with Elaine. Uh, she's late. She missed her period. And Elaine wants to know, was the condom blue? 
And she's like, how did you know that? She's like, it was a hunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder, how long has this been though? Like, didn't they, this just happen like two days ago? Yeah. In the future? I mean, I guess it makes more sense if it's like a week or so later because George is still pretty upset about this. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So Jerry is like screaming about trying to get the top off of a soda. <laughs> Again, speaking to maybe Jerry isn't the best guy in the fight. And then Elaine is there and he was like, what's the problem with your flaky friend? Yeah, he really doesn't like Cynthia. Yes. And Jerry and, calls her a, your bitter, twisted friend. Yeah, this gets interesting here that when they start pointing fingers at each other. Yes. And then they're like starting to get into it again. And they're like getting into a big argument. And then Kramer comes in and has to break up the fist fight between Jerry and Elaine. Well, I wouldn't call this a fist fight. They call it a slap fight. It's a slap fight. But this actually, speaking of things you might not see in 2015, like, you know, him hitting, seeing Jerry, like, hit it, even though obviously they're joking. Yes. I'm not sure if you'd see him hit Elaine. Yes. Again, yeah, uh, Jerry slapping around his ex-girlfriend probably doesn't play as well in 2015. No. And they're joking, though. I I don't take any offense. I just don't think you'd see it. Well, in fairness, Elaine is the instigator. Listen, that's probably what Ray Rice said. <laughs> yeah, I think that is what he said. I think she, she hit me first. Yeah, l- listen, you know, Jerry's still going to be suspended for the whole season. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, then Kramer comes in and is like, oh, break it up, break it up. Can't you see you two love each other? You're looking for something out there, and it's right here with, uh, in, in this apartment. Kramer's like a, a homeless philosopher. Yeah, okay. And Elaine eventually blurts out that the reason why Cynthia hasn't called George is because she missed her period, but she doesn't realize that George is standing behind her and is coming in the room and says she missed her period. And then you expect George to have a breakdown and he gets into the, uh, Oh my God, I'm a father. I did it. My boys can swim, which becomes a very famous line in the show. Yeah, that's that's a one of the most. This is probably the most famous line of uh, definitely the one in this episode that's memorable, but yeah, it's funny that George, is, you know, you expect him to be miserable, like you said, but he's, he's super excited about it because, again, he had nothing going. Like, this is just something that's happening. Yeah, so he's excited. And then we get to, uh, we're out to dinner with Cynthia. And again, we see this a lot in these Seinfeld episodes that we talk about, sort of like the big climactic act happens off screen. And then we come back and she's talking about it and how it's her and Elaine. And they're talking about how uh, he came in and he said that whatever you need, I'm going to take care of you. And she was really blown away. Uh, yeah, right. At this point, you, you're led to believe that they're like on super good terms. Yeah. And they are on super good terms, I think. Yeah. And she comes in, then Jerry and, and George sit down and they're sort of like cutesy, annoying even. And they said, look, we got a great seat right next to the kitchen. And uh, again, she's so happy. She's loving George. So, you know, they're like hitting each other with the napkins. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then they start eating and then George starts eating like a slob. Right. So that in those like two seconds, we're supposed to go from like 100 to zero. And that's the end of the relationship. We're never seeing Cynthia again. Yeah, well, I guess that, you know, she's a little fickle, um, but she was blown away by that amazing gesture that that he made. But again, it's it's just one gesture that was sort of fleeting. And then she sort of like the bloom was off the rose and went back to like, oh, wait, he's a, you know, short, stocky, balding guy who's eating like a slob and doesn't have a job and blah, blah. I think it was just like a, um, you know, being uh, hit with a a dash of cold water again. I hear you, but I do think like, 
this is like the third or fourth time that we've basically had like, okay, the episode is 99% over. Now let's meet back up. It's usually in monks. And like, let's talk about why these people have broken up because we need a reason why like this guest star is never going to be seen again. Yeah. But at least this happens on screen. Right. Sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes it's like uh, with the old man and, you know, he's walking again and, you know, and, and, he kicked, and he kicks Elaine out. Or, you know, they moved down to the village, you know, the second he came out of the coma. All right. Well, the final piece of stand-up business is, uh, you know, have you ever fixed up anybody uh, because you thought they would have a good time? You're playing God. God set up Adam and Eve. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, not a lot of hilarious uh, Adam and Eve material to be mined. No, not the best stand-up <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. All right. So, Akiva, all right, let's talk about this a little bit more. Yeah, so it's funny. So this is probably the biggest sort of disagreement we've had because you seem to really like this episode. Yeah. And uh, you're not the only one who liked this episode, Rob. Yeah, who else did? Well, the, uh, the, Emmy, the Emmys uh, like this episode. Yeah, well, this is a, a really cool thing that they have in the deleted scenes or the inside looks that they show sort of like the behind the scenes of the Emmy Awards of, I guess, from 1992. And this episode actually won the Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a sitcom. And it was uh, really funny because Jerry was the one presenting the award. And then, and I didn't think you were allowed to do this. I didn't think you could have somebody from the show presenting. And then... Uh, people from the show receiving the award, but Larry Charles and Elaine Pope win the award for this. And they did sort of a funny thing where they wrote a speech for Jerry uh, to read instead of them. Cause they were, said they were too neurotic. Yeah. So that part is funny. And then the, the, the joke is that the speech is just about how great Jerry is and it's Jerry reading their speech. Yeah. Um, and it is weird, right? You, you would never see that in the Oscars. Like you would never, um, you know, be the guy up there. Uh, presenting the award for a, a movie that you had anything. I mean, I'm sure it happens sometimes, but I I feel like they no. They I think they probably go out of their way not to do it. Oh, uh, well, I think they sh they probably do, but uh, I bet it does happen uh, from from time to time. But it's probably something that maybe maybe there was an incident. May yeah, maybe a guy got up there, like Jerry got up there, and they didn't really win, and he just said Elaine Pope and Larry Charles win. Yeah, and then what are you going to do? You're going to go back and be like, no, 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 and then like every whatever is the question. Yeah, I didn't that happen once with Marissa Tomei? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't uh, like there? There, I think was like, this on Seinfeld like urban... with Marissa Tomei? No, yeah, yes, but not the not the Seinfeld episode with Marissa Tomei. The, there's like an urban legend that someone read the wrong name. I yeah. think, uh, and like that's why this person who wasn't, I think it's Marissa Tomei, like who wasn't supposed to win at all, uh, who was like hundred to one shot, you know, won the award. But it is funny, also, even if you you know really like this episode, that this is the episode of Seinfeld that won you know, it's first Emmy. Yeah. I mean, the sub, the subway actually won at, at the Emmys the same year for editing, but, um, you know, th think about some of the episodes this season. You had the subway, you had the parking garage, you have a couple of really great episodes coming up the next two weeks. Uh, and this is the one that won. Yeah. Okay. I think that the reason why this episode probably won is that it's a great standalone episode. You don't need to follow any of the plot. It's just like a, a, a one-off thing of like, you know, you have this character that just comes up and it's sort of like a thing about, it's a very universal episode. Like you could show this person, this episode to a person who doesn't watch Seinfeld at all. And they would be able to, you know, get everything that's going on. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. And also the show itself is the one, uh, you know, nominating individual episodes for awards. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think it's a very good episode. I stand by this one. I also like, like in the super confusing Emmy, like I'm looking at what, well, you know, awards the show was nominated for that year. 
So they won for outstanding writing in a comedy series, but then they were not. Then for the tape, the writers were nominated for outstanding individual achievement in writing, which is a different award. I'm not sure what the difference is, yeah. uh, but they didn't win that one. Okay. Uh, so who knows what that's talking about? Uh, anything else from the inside looks? We talked about uh, Jason Alexander. We talked about the stuff with the Emmys. Anything else that we learned? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess just that you know you mentioned it, but Elaine, Elaine Pope, and Larry Charles who wrote the episode. They set up their own friends, and I guess they were talking about it. And they made it seem like right as it started to go badly, they went and they wrote this episode. Yeah. Okay. So uh, fun stuff, I think, uh, all around. Akiva, where would you rank this episode? Yeah. It's also also in the deleted scenes. We mentioned the first one, but uh, there's a pretty use. And a we've clunker, said, you know, deleted... A real clunker in the deleted scenes with Jerry and Elaine. <laughs> where Elaine says that the reason... He, what Jerry complains about the newspapers making his hands dirty... Uh, and then Elaine sees that there's a, a cruise in the newspaper, like an yes. ad for a cruise. And then Jerry says, I'd never go on a cruise because it's bogus. They have to save the women and children first. And Jerry says, why don't feminists complain about that? And then Elaine says, because women are better rowers. Yeah. So uh, I think, again, like so far there, they are na- like actually the thing about George in the nightclub. I thought that thing that that could have made it into the show, but they were 100 uh, percent right instinct to cut this stuff. Yeah, because sometimes I do think when the ending is rushed, and a lot of times there's only room for like 11 or 12 scenes in the, in the show, that I think like, oh, you know, if this show was like more like Curb in that there was no commercials and they had a uh, more loose amount of time they could, show, you know, have the show instead of, there's really only like a 30 second variable for, uh, you know, most Seinfeld episodes. I mean, they could take out like one of the standups if they were desperate. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, Curb could be 22 minutes or it could be 30 minutes. So sometimes I think that, but then you see the deleted scenes and you're like, yeah, it's probably perfect length. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Akiva, where do you put this in the rankings? All right. So I think I'm going to move this up. Oh. I, but not, don't get too excited. Okay. Um, I had it at 144. And I think I'm going to move it up to 136. Okay. Because I, I do think it was edited very well. You have to give it props for that. Um, but I don't think, you know, I have it that's right next to like the Pez dispenser. Mm-hmm. There just aren't a lot of jokes in this episode. I think this is a polarizing episode. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, you know, we didn't do news at the beginning, but it's, I was thinking like the, I was reading an article, uh, that had the top 25 uh, sitcom episodes, all episodes, not just Seinfeld of the last, uh, I think it was 25 years Yes, in, in the AV club. Yes. I did see this. And, uh, you did see this? Yes. And uh, the winner was the Chinese restaurant. I, I mean, I just, that blew my mind that that is the best uh, sitcom episode in the last 25 years. It's not even the best Seinfeld episode. Well, not, not, not just not the best. Like, I had that at 79. I think you, if you were making uh, this type of list, would probably have it in a similar spot. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could argue, like, it was important. Like, uh, okay, sure. But, I mean, it's, I don't think it's the best episode of uh, the last 25 years of any sitcom. Yeah, and how is it really important? Like, yes, it was original, but it's not like episodes start, you know, TV shows started, uh, hey, we could do the whole episode in one place. Like, nobody does that in 2015 where, you know, people play with the structure more. Like, it's still kind of not done. Yeah. So it's not like this was such a, you know, uh, you know, a revolutionary episode, but it, the, I think the idea is more like, I didn't like this episode at all. You seem to really like it. Uh, the, you know, it won an Emmy award, which not, you know, Seinfeld didn't do that well at the Emmys historically. Yeah. And, uh, and then you have an episode like Chinese restaurant. So basically the show is, has such a deep roster of episodes that 
you know, one person's favorite is probably another person's, you know, like bottom 10 episode. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, take a couple of emails. Uh, we didn't get a ton of emails on this episode. I don't know if that's a reflection between uh, that you guys didn't have a lot to say or you guys didn't really love this episode because it, it really fluctuates our email inbox. Sometimes we get like 10, 15 emails about an episode, but this week only a couple. So get your emails in at Seinfeld at post show recaps. Okay. So Chester, our buddy, he says, what a terrible forgettable episode. Yeah, he's on the same page as me. He's on the same page as you. And he says that the show's description of fixing someone up, uh, is that off base or is it just dated? Because they act like fixing somebody up is really strange, uh, but maybe that's just what people used to think 25 years ago. Are people are more people getting fixed up now or 25 years ago? I don't know. I mean, I come from like uh, more of a, uh, you know, a type of, um, you know, place where uh, fix up was like the, was like the norm. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, like, but it would be friends, not necessarily parents. I think back then maybe it was a little more like parents fixing you up. Yes. Uh, which George's parents do try and do in later episodes, but I don't, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like you might, you might know more than I do. Like what, you know, was this normal in the nineties? Like, was that what was happening and it's not happening now? I think it has to do more with how shallow or deep the dating pool is. Uh, when it's a shallower dating pool, I think you have more fix ups. Because I think you say like, oh, what about this person? I, I know this person. But if you, when you have a ton of options out there, uh, I think that there's probably less fix-ups. Are people setting each other up in L.A. in 2015? No, I think that there's probably more. Again, you know, you have the Facebook, you have the, the Tinder, and all, the, all these different options. Like, there's no shortage of ways to meet people. Right. Right. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it's probably still a decent option, like better than just meeting someone in a bar. Okay. So you're pro fix up. Yeah. I mean, compared to, you know, compare, like, is someone really going to say like, uh, you know, like your son's going to bounce, not your son, but the proverbial, you know, your son is going to like, you know, you're going to bounce him on your knee one day. He's going to be like, daddy, how'd you meet mommy? And he's going to be like oh, on Tinder. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, is that going to happen? <laughs> well, I don't know if you're uh, really having the long-term relationship. From what I understand of the Tinder, uh, I'm not sure if you're having the, uh, the ongoing relationship unless uh, the blue condom is involved. <laughs> right. But then, I do think... Then you would say that, uh, that. You know how I met your mom on Tinder? Right. Right. I, I don't know where Bob she is. Sacramento. You really uh, screwed me on this one. That's right. But I, I, I'm sure there's been marriages through Tinder. Um, probably. Yeah, that probably has happened, but it's probably not the norm. Um, all right. So, uh, then, uh, let's take another question, uh, from, uh, Johnny D Silvera. Johnny wants to know, have either of you been set up on a date? We talked about, uh, fixing other people. Have you ever been set up with anybody, Akiva? Uh, no, I've never been on a date. <laughs> Wait, you've never even taken your, your wife on a date? I have, but like, I, I, like, I've never been on like a first date type of thing. Like we had already known each other. So, okay. And you know, we, I met with her when we were still teenagers. Okay. Um, so I've never really been on, on a date. What about you? Yeah. I want to say, I think I was fixed up, uh, one, one time with somebody and it didn't, it, it didn't go well, did not care for it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's, you know, I think I still think it's the way to go. What about, I feel like the people whose parents set them up, like, you know, people laugh about it, you know, these like arranged marriages, but I feel like they have the highest success rate. Well, the, you don't have an option. <laughs> it's an arranged marriage. Well, you, it, but you could arrange the divorce. Are you not allowed to get the 
divorced? I don't know how, how that I works. I mean, I think if you, if you got into an arranged marriage, I don't think you're allowed to just divorce willy-nilly. Well, who's stopping you from getting divorced? Like, if it's in America. Like, I feel like you can get divorced. If I don't you... know. If it was an arranged, I mean, if it was an arranged marriage, I think you have to stay. I guess it depends what culture you're from. Like, some cultures <laughs> frown upon divorce, but like, some, you know, some do arranged marriages, but like, don't, aren't necessarily like frowning on divorce. I'm okay. not sure. All right. Um, and then uh, Giant Di Silvera has a, a bit of a philosophical question. Uh, maybe he wants to know, uh, could we get a female's perspective on why men who are balding are looked down upon? I can understand fat because uh, someone doesn't care about their health. At least uh, that's controllable. But baldness is uncontrollable. And maybe Nicole could drop by for the questions. Uh, is this unfair? Women who are... Uh, prejudice against uh, men who are balding. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we learn in uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, you could be racist against bald people. Yes, yes. Why is it, why is it okay for these women to frown upon the balding men? Or throw eggs at their house. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, but I think we should, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's 2015, and I think we should put a stop to it. We should put a stop to it, these ladies that are Against the balding men. As somebody who's, you know, very rapidly losing their hair, I think it's a good time to start that campaign. Yes, yes. Hey, look, if it was something that was controllable, you'd have a point. Hey, like, like you could, you know, you could do all sorts of different things, but, you know, the baldness, not, not necessarily a controllable thing. Well, you could do the Rogaine or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So a good question by Johnny DeSilvera. Uh, maybe some women in our audience uh, will go ahead and, and, and help us out on that one. All right, Akiva, what's next? Oh, boy. It's a doozy. Yes. We have, uh, we have the, the famous Keith Hernandez episode, The Boyfriend, coming up next week. That's very exciting. Very exciting. And, uh, and um, we're going to do both episodes in one episode, right? Yes. We're not going to split it up and, and leave the audience hanging. No, we will not leave a cliffhanger. So, uh, yeah, so we got, uh, we're gonna, we got two episodes next week, the boyfriend, the ex extra long podcast. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about that. Uh, do you have a hashtag for this episode? Hmm. What about, uh, my boys can swim. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. My boys can swim. So ve that's very, 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 very good. Uh, my boys can swim. All right. So that'll be the hashtag, uh, for this episode. Looking forward to talking about Keith Hernandez next week. Yeah, I, I do think that's a classic. I think that'll be fun to uh, to go over. Yeah, I think that's a big episode, too, that I think it really brought a lot of attention to the show. Yeah, I, it's funny also because, uh, you know, Keith Hernandez is probably more famous from Seinfeld than he is from being like a really good baseball player. What about Just for Men? That's true. That probably that, you know, that boosted him up in the, in the interim before he, you know, <laughs> after he was a ball player and after he was on Seinfeld, but before he became an announcer. Yeah, no play for Mr. Gray. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we'll talk about that all next week. We'd love to hear from you guys, both in the comments on Post Show Recaps. Uh, you could subscribe also to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes, or you can listen to all of our Post Show Recaps uh, with the Rehab app. You could find that in the Apple Store. Also coming very soon to Android as well. So uh, we've got a lot going on there on the Rob is a Podcast app where you can listen to all the Post Show Recaps. Uh, hashtag my boys can swim. And then uh, we 
will see you next time on the Seinfeld uh, Recap Podcast. Special thanks to Mike Moore, who has been doing a great job with the transcribing of these episodes. And also thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who's been helping out with the editing of these podcast episodes. So thanks to those guys as well, who are all part of the team that helps bring you the Seinfeld Post Show Recap every week. Thanks again, Akiva, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.